Today on the Matt Wall Show, a white male conservative Republican politician has made a stunning and heroic announcement. He is actually a woman of color. Yet for some reason, his transgender and transracial intersectional identity is being hatefully rejected by leftists who are calling for his removal from office. We'll talk about this today. Also, Montana is the latest state to ban child castration and mutilation. Democrats in Nebraska weep tears of joy after a bill banning abortion after six weeks fails. Bill Maher wonders about the origins of the, quote, woke mind virus. And speaking of which, the woke cult has now come for my favorite book series from my childhood, Frog and Toad. And now they've really gone too far. All of that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. Everyone's talking about how chat GPT and artificial intelligence are going to change the world. Tech companies are all investing heavily in AI for a search. But, but guess what? They're also the same big tech companies that determine your search results. Only now they get to cut out a whole new layer from the information you get to see. Why should they link to third-party websites and the search results when they can let their robot generate the perfect answer for your question right away? And that's why I use ExpressVPN to add a layer of protection between me and big tech. ExpressVPN's app hides my unique IP address on all of my devices. This makes it much more difficult for big tech to identify who I am and match my activity back to me. I've been using ExpressVPN for years. All I have to do is tap one button on my phone or computer to turn it on, and that's it. It really is that simple and easy. ExpressVPN doesn't just uh, protect me from big tech. It also encrypts 100% of my online traffic, keeping me safe from hackers and prying eyes. One ExpressVPN subscription covers up to five devices at the same time, so my whole family can use it too. Stop letting big tech leech on your data freely. Visit expressvpn.com slash Walsh right now to get three extra months free. That's expressvpn.com slash Walsh to get protected with VPNs. The VPN rated number one by CNET, TechRight, Radar, and most importantly, by me, expressvpn.com slash Walsh. Over the past several years, it's been fascinating to watch legions of grown adults who had lived their entire lives up to this moment believing in and not remotely questioning the objective and immutable reality of biological sex suddenly adopt a viewpoint diametrically at odds with everything they said and seemed to think until now. None of them have ever, ever explained this dramatic change of heart. None of them have ever told us what arguments convinced them or what else may have prompted their road to Damascus conversion. All we know is that all of these people, including most of the most prominent people in politics and media and Hollywood, all now believe or claim to believe that identity is fluid and sex is on a spectrum and men can become pregnant and women can have penises and so on. As just the latest example, Republican presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy appeared on uh, Meet the Press on Sunday where he was grilled by Chuck Todd over his bigoted belief that women have two X chromosomes and men have XY chromosomes. Chuck Todd has been on television for many years for some reason, and yet if you were to go back through his catalog and the hundreds upon hundreds of hours of footage, you will likely find no indication until about 14 seconds ago that he denies the objective existence of men and women as biological categories. If he had believed this 10 years ago or 15 years ago, you'd think that it'd be the kind of thing that might come up on occasion, but it never did. And yet here he is now. But below the age of 18, I think it's perfectly legitimate to say that we won't allow genital mutilation or chemical castration through puberty blockers You're for the purpose of that, gender transition. But how do you know it's that? Again, how do you know, are, are you confident that you know that gender uh, is... Uh, as binary as you're describing it? Are you confident that it isn't a spectrum? I am. Uh, you know I'm, this as a scientist? Well, there's there's two X chromosomes if you're a woman and an X and a Y. That means there's you're a man. There's a lot of scientific research out there. There's a lot of scientific research out there that says gender is a spectrum. Chuck, I, I respectfully disagree. Gender dysphoria for most of our history, all the way through the DSM-5, has been characterized as a mental health disorder. And I don't think it's compassionate to affirm that. I think that's cruelty. When a kid is crying out for help, mm -hmm. what they're asking for is, you got to ask the question of what else is going wrong at home? What else is going wrong at school? Let's be compassionate and get to the heart of that, rather than playing this game as though we're actually changing right. our medical understanding I, for the last I, I go 100 back years. To this. If a parent is dealing with a child that has these, that yes. may have these issues, trust me, the parent, the last thing they want to do is consider something like this. But if that is what they think could help their child pursue happiness or they're not to kill themselves, I, why take away that option? A lot of scientific research, he says, he assures us. How do we know that gender is on a spectrum and that some men have uteruses? Well, the scientific research. What scientific research? Well, you know, the ones that scientists do. 
Which scientists? Well, uh, stop asking questions, you bigot. Chuck also insists that we must systematically castrate and sterilize children in order to stave off suicide. This is another viewpoint that I'm willing to wager Chuck never once expressed or even hinted at until very recently. But now he's quite sure of it, though he can't actually explain why. Many such cases, uh, a great many such cases, and that is exactly why. In this age of extreme, and you might even say pathological acceptance, I was so personally disheartened and uh, frankly stunned to see the same acceptance withheld from one of the great transgender trailblazers of our time. Ryan Webb is a Republican councilman in Delaware County, Indiana. Uh, he is, or I should say, uh, was a white male conservative. But earlier this month, Webb made a courageous announcement. He came out as a trans woman of color. Here's the local news uh, reporting on the story. Watch. Councilman is coming out as a transgender, as transgender and a woman of color. Delaware County Councilman Ryan Webb announced that he now identifies as an Indian American woman. Since that announcement, he's received some support, but a lot of backlash, many calling him childish, despicable, even calling for things like execution. In a statement Webb gave to iTeamate, he says, quote, it is unfortunate that I cannot simply be given the same space and respect to explore my identity that so many of those targeting me demand for themselves. It's possible I may change my mind down the road. The process of identity exploration is complex and oftentimes at the end of our personal journey, we end right back where we started. Webb goes on to tell IT Mate, this is just his true authentic self. Incredible. Our brave sister, Mrs. Ryan Webb, has come out of three closets all at once. She reveals herself to be a woman, a person of color, and a lesbian. Mrs. Webb has pulled off the intersectional hat trick. And here she is on Facebook announcing her truth to the world. Quote, after much consideration, I've decided to come out and finally feel comfortable announcing my true authentic self. It is with great relief that I announced to everyone that I identify as a woman, not just any woman, but as a woman of color as well. I guess this would make me a gay slash lesbian as well, since I'm attracted to women. Whew, that felt good to finally get out there and start living life as my true self. I'm excited to bring some diversity to the county council. Until today, we didn't have any females of color or LGBTQIA PC++ on the council. I'm glad that now we do. Mrs. Webb goes on to note that she is, in fact, the first lesbian woman of color in the history of Delaware County to, to ever serve on their council. And that's just one of the glass ceilings that she has shattered. But perhaps the most remarkable thing has been Mrs. Webb's physical transformation. They only very briefly showed it. We'll put it up on the screen again. You can clearly see uh, the before and after. Who can deny her lived experience after seeing a photo comparison like this? She was a run-of-the-mill white male before, but now she is a beautiful, vibrant black woman. If you put Mrs. Webb in a room with Meghan Markle, you would hardly be able to tell who is who. And yet, in the year 2023, no less, Mrs. Webb's trans identity has been viciously rejected and ridiculed by the very people who claim to be defenders of trans rights. She has been even doxxed and harassed and threatened and protest. At the most recent council, uh, county council meeting, transphobic leftists showed up in mass to call for her removal simply for being transgender. Here's one woman repeatedly misgendering Mrs. Webb, even while accusing her of, quote, making a hate speech. Listen. The actions that, that Ryan has taken are very embarrassing to the city of Muncie at this point. If you're transgender, that's fine. He is creating a conflict against some transgenders based on his post and the fact that, you know, he's flaunting the, the minority, you know, lesbian as such, as the first council person as a lesbian. And I, I just, I don't understand why he would trash transgenders in one post and the very next day decide that he is transgender. It creates a divide. We have transgenders all over Muncie and they have the right to be respected. And he has diminished some of that respect to them. And he's also diminished some of that respect to Minority women, you know, Native American women, black women. It, it, I am. I feel that he has basically made a hate speech in this post on April 11th, and I feel that he should resign. And if he doesn't, 
I would I would look at county council to talk to legal and see what they can do about removing him because he has created some hate. She doesn't understand, she says. Well, ma'am, it's not Ryan's job to help you understand. BIPOC women in this country already do enough emotional labor. Thank you. It's not up to them to make you feel comfortable. If you don't understand, that's your problem and something you ought to frankly keep to yourself. Stop demanding that queer people explain themselves. Stop burdening marginalized people with your ignorance. But we should expect a cis white woman to be so obtuse. The really astounding thing is that even Ryan's fellow trans women, her alleged compatriots, heaps scorn on her. Watch this. Councilperson Ryan Webb announced publicly on social media and to several news outlets that he now, now identifies as a lesbian woman of color, retaining his male pronouns and bragging that he is now the first, this is a quote, LGBTQ plus woman of color to ever sit on the Delaware County Council and claiming to have shattered the local glass ceiling, end quote. If he were serious, I'd sing his praises. But instead, I know better. We all do. I know better because of his history of making hateful, anti-trans statements on social media and dis disrespecting one's pronouns. He has purposely and intentionally misgendered me, ridiculing my own gender identity. That's not something transgender people do to one another. Now he expects us to believe he is sincere. He is being disingenuous and his words not only embarrass himself, but you, the county council. His comments are disgraceful, and they fall below our expectations of an elected official whose job it is to represent all his constituents. He no longer deserves to serve on this council, and I ask him to resign. Well, it is a shame to hear such bigotry coming from such a beautiful woman. Uh, I have to admit, though, it was a little confusing to watch. On the one hand, I was horrified by the racism and internalized transphobia. On the other hand, I was kind of delighted and nostalgic because uh, she reminded me of the Chris Farley lunch lady skit. And I mean that in a good way, of course. It's the highest compliment that I can give to a woman. And unfortunately, uh, it's the only compliment I can give to someone so hate-filled and intolerant. It's a shame to see a trans woman climb the ladder to societal acceptance and then try to pull it up after her, leaving Ryan Webb stranded down below. Yet another woman of color abandoned by the system. There were many moments like this at the meeting. One person after another getting up to deliver a lecture to Ryan. All of them uh, calling for, for her to resign or be thrown out. Well, he could only sit. I mean, she, she could only sit in dignified silence like so many BIPOC and queer women before her. Here's just one more example. Watch. First of all, I cannot believe that I had to take time out of my day today to attempt to teach a grown man how to behave appropriately. Ethics, as defined, are moral principles that govern a person's behavior or conducting of an activity. Brian Webb's lack of professionalism is outstanding and absolutely unethical. I've worked for the past 21 years, many people here, work your whole life, you know? Um, and as we all know, jobs require a certain amount of integrity to be exercised. In none of my jobs in the last 21 years, and that is many, many jobs, would I have been permitted to mock and disrespect my customers. She's had many, many jobs. Apparently she's good at getting jobs, but not keeping them. You know, I wonder why. In any case, you get the idea. Ryan Webb, Delaware County's first POC lesbian woman to ever serve on the county council, has been rejected by his own, I mean, her own community. It falls then to the nation's leading LGBT children's author to come to her defense. And I will only say this. To everybody on the left, I'm sorry, but this is your bed. You have made it for yourself, and now you must lay in it. You don't get to reject anyone's truth. You do not have permission to be skeptical 
of anyone's claims about their own identity. And it's not me or Delaware County's first queer BIPOC councilwoman, Ryan Webb, who have denied you permission. You have denied it. You have set the rules for your own game. And those rules are exceedingly simple and clear. They may also be insane. You know, the rules might be insane, but, but that's your problem. The rules stipulate that a person's physical body has no bearing on any part of their identity. We all have our own truth, our own lived experience, and we are able to determine who and what we are. Nothing external can make this determination. Certainly no other person can decide for us. We may decide, you know, on one identity one day and something else the next. And every new identity is completely valid and requires no justification or explanation at all. These are your rules. You've been very explicit about this. If Ryan Webb was a, was a critic of trans ideology and then decided the next day that she actually is trans, well, that's her truth. It's her journey. So you can say, I don't understand. How could you be saying this yesterday and then this today? It's not for you to understand. She said it. This is, this is her exploring her identity. And sometimes you end up back where you start. I thought that was a very profound statement. This is her experience. You have no basis for rejecting it or arguing against it. Now, it's true. You know, you do like to pretend that this principle doesn't apply to race. At least so far, you're still at the point where you're pretending that there's some sort of line in the sand here. But the line in the sand uh, just doesn't work. Race is far more fluid than sex. It is much more on a spectrum. Even the phrase person of color already opens the door to everyone because we are all people of color. If the other option is to be colorless and translucent, like deep sea creatures, not to open up that can of worms again. If a person with XY chromosomes and a male reproductive, uh, male reproductive organs can still somehow possess like the essence of a woman, then how much more can a person with slightly lighter skin possess the essence of a person with slightly darker skin? You are the ones, in fact, who even tell us that race is a social construct. That's anti-racism 101. You've already put race and gender into the same category. You have placed those two things on the same playing field. And in the same playbook, Ryan Webb is just connecting the dots. That's all. And now you are literally committing genocide against her. Literally. She is like a transracial lesbian Martin Luther King Jr., a civil rights hero, and now a martyr. But I'll tell you this, no matter what you do, no matter how much you disparage and disavow her, no matter how much you try to silence her, even if you kick her off of the county council, still her courage will ring down through the generations and inspire millions for years to come. I know that she has inspired me. Now let's get to our five headlines. One thing about men is that we hate going to the doctor. You have to make the appointment. You have to spend half your day sitting around the waiting room. You often endure uncomfortable conversations about your body with another man that you hardly know. RexMD understands that no one likes to go to the doctor's office. That's why they've created a safe online platform for men to discreetly consult with the licensed physicians and get personalized treatment plans. RexMD makes it easy and inexpensive to get generic and branded Viagra or Cialis online. No waiting rooms, no embarrassing trips to the doctors, no insurance, and no co-pays. Did you know that Viagra can cost $90 a pill? Well, RexMD has generic Viagra for just as low as $2 a pill. Just fill out their online uh, medical questionnaire. A doctor will review your situation and, if appropriate, prescribe you the medication. Your medication will ship right to your door with free two-day shipping. It's fast, it's simple, it's cheap. Plus, you can access your, your U.S. licensed RexMD physician anytime you need. RexMD has uh, already helped over 300,000 guys gain confidence quickly and conveniently. They're here to help you too. Take advantage of their best deal at rexmd.com slash Walsh and save up to 90% off by, by uh, paying only $2 per dosage. That's rexmd.com slash Walsh for up to 90% off. Go to rexmd.com for more details and safety information. Well, anyway, moving on to this from the Daily Wire. Um, uh, Montana became the latest state to ban sex change procedures on minors after Republican Governor Greg uh, Gianfort, Gianforte, maybe we'll call him, anyway, we'll call him Greg, signed a bill into law on Friday protecting children from uh, life-altering treatments. 
Governor Gregg signed Senate Bill 99, known as the Youth Health Protection Act, after uh, previously sending it back to the legislature for amendments. The bill bans surgeries like elective double mastectomies on girls who identify as boys and prohibits puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones for uh, children. He is committed to um, protecting Montana's children from invasive uh, medical treatments that can permanently alter their, their healthy developing bodies. Caitlin Price, a spokeswoman, said in an email to the New York Times. In a letter to Montana Republican Senate and House leaders, Gianforte explained why he supported the bill. He said that the bill focused on so-called gender-affirming medical care for children. Gender-affirming care for children is Orwellian newspeak, a seemingly innocuous, even solicitous phrase that masks its na true nature of permanent, invasive, life-altering medical and surgical procedures performed on children whose young minds and bodies are still developing. Um, so this finally passed through. Of course, uh, the left very upset, uh, trans activists. Here's Montana trans representative Zoe Zephyr. Zephyr, again, Obviously not his real name. Not sure what his real name is, but I'm sure it's not Zoe Zephyr. Like they, they never even choose names that sound remotely like a, like an actual name. Um, the names always sound. It's like the names sound like cartoon characters. So here's Zoe Zephyr reacting to the news. It's important to note that this bill doesn't go into effect until October 1st, and we're going to do everything in our power to stop this bill. There will be court challenges, and ultimately, like bills across the country it will get defeated in, in these courts. We know they, these bills are un, as unconstitutional as they are cruel, um, but it is, I think it does show the way in which the right in our state is beginning to shift and isn't listening to the constituents in our communities who are saying these bills hurt people. These bills hurt people. You know, remember, uh, when it, when it comes to child castration and sterilization and uh, when they're talking about rights, always remember, whose rights they're referring to. And it's not the rights of the child. Okay, It's never the rights of the child. It's not the right of the child to be mutilated. No, it's the right of the medical industry to mutilate the child. That's what they're concerned about. What they're actually saying is that, that doctors, the medical industry has the right to do this to a child and profit off of it. And it's also the rights of, uh, of trans activists to brainwash children. Trans activists like Zoe Zephyr to, uh, to brainwash and recruit these children into the cult. Those are the rights that they're concerned about. But we are, as we see yet again here, we are, this is, we are, the good news, the very good news is that, is that I believe we're winning on this issue. And I don't mean that we're winning on the issue of gender, broadly speaking. Um, I, I think that ultimately we will win on that issue. I, I don't know that we have a lot of ground to cover, a lot of ground to make up. So I can't say that we're, we're covering a lot of that ground, but we're not winning on it. But when it comes to specifically the issue of kids, the transing of kids, we are winning on that. Like we have almost all the momentum on our side, which is why on the other side, all they have is, is you know, the, the threats and force and censorship. They're doing all these things because they're losing. This, this is a sign that they're losing. You know, the fact that, uh, that even take YouTube, for example, as you know, demonetized on YouTube. I had to take the show off of YouTube because I wasn't going to uh, toe the line. But up until recently, everything that I'm saying right now, I'd say it on YouTube, wasn't a problem. Now it is because they realize that they're, they're, they're losing and the only thing they could do is try to shut you down. Um, and we have gained all this momentum really pretty quickly. Okay, we're, we're not only seeing the, the legal victories and the laws being passed, which is great, but also there's been a shift in the cultural narrative where many people who previously were uh, oblivious are now awake to this issue. They realize that it's going on. They're obviously deeply opposed to it. Most people are. Any sane, decent person is, is going to be deeply opposed to the uh, castration, sterilization of children. And, um, and so that's the shift that we're, that we're seeing happening. All right, one other cable news clip I want to play for you. Uh, this is uh, insurrectionist Justin Pearson, who appeared on MSNBC. Um, and I just want you to listen to what he has to say. This is going to be the way it is. You and your generation and people like you and Zoe Zephyr and Maxwell Frost, you're not afraid to break the China. We have to realize that we are in a really important moment in the movement, uh, not just in a moment. 
and for our entire generation, which recognizes that the opportunity that we have cannot be wasted by going along with the status quo as usual. The status quo has propped up white supremacy and patriarchy and injustice. It has created a situation where in a state like Tennessee, we have an increase in poverty. We have some of the lowest voter turnout. We have a situation where we have this epidemic of gun violence and the silence from leaders in the Republican Party in our state house. And we know that things can be different and it can be better. And so in this moment, I believe the moral courage of all of our generation is awakening to our power. And we were told how important civics was in voting and participating in democracy. And it is a shame that in Tennessee and in Montana, we are seeing that participation in democracy seeking to be silenced, censured, or expelled because it is advocating for a vision and a voice that needs to be heard. And it is a vision that says everybody matters, that there is a movement of people who are young and who are fearless in the face of injustice and fearless in the face of oppression because we know that we are part of a long-storied history of people who have built movements that have been multiracial, that have been for the true spirit of democracy, that have helped to create the present conditions that we have to be able to sit in the seats that we have in order to elevate the issues and the voices of our community. And and we're not going to stop and we're not going to be turned around. Yeah, you know, uh, there's a couple funny things there. One is that you, you could tell he, he doesn't quite know how to speak like a normal person right now because he has this character, this absurd, uh, cartoonish character that he plays on TV when he's up there pretending to be a civil rights icon from the 1960s and doing that whole routine. But he hasn't quite figured out, and he, these, that, you know, that's like the big over-the-top um, moment that that he's he's that he can do. And I'm not going to say that he does it convincingly or does it well, but he can do that. Um, but it's the subtle acting that he hasn't quite figured out. And this is also, I think this is true even of, of Hollywood actors. You know, it's one thing to have the big emotional moment is one thing, but to have to capture those kind of subtler moments, that's a more difficult acting. And so when he's giving these interviews where he's not in front of a crowd with a bullhorn, you know, doing his whole Martin Luther King Jr. stick, and, he, and he's just supposed to be talking like a normal person. He doesn't quite, he, he, he sort of lapses into the character and then he comes back out of it. He doesn't quite know how to talk like a normal person. But what did he say there? Um, well, he said nothing at all. That was nothing. That was a whole rhetorical parade of nothing. And this, to me, is the real tragedy. Right? Like, if we, if we must have extremist leftist militants in our society, I'd prefer for them to at least be authentic. Okay? If we have to have them. It's not the worst thing to have a culture, you know, a, a culture at war between two factions who are deeply opposed to one another. It's not the best thing. It's not a good thing. You prefer not to have that situation, but it's not the worst thing. I think the worst thing is this, where we're at war, but we're at war with people who speak exclusively in cliches, people who are, you know, um, absolutely phony, who are as human and authentic as chatbots. This is a culture war, but a, a very decadent one as so many of its participants are play-acting, basically. We heard the Chuck Todd clip at the top of the show. There's someone who doesn't buy this stuff. Well, you know, scientists say that gender is on a spectrum. He doesn't buy that at all. He does not even, he does, he does, he does not believe any part of that, but he's pretending to. All of these people are pretending, which I think just makes it all the worse. All right, next we have this clip from uh, Bill Maher's show, which went viral. Elon Musk was interviewed, and um, we're just going to play a little piece of this. Here they are talking about the origins of what Bill Maher refers to as the, uh, I think rightly refers to, as the woke mind virus. Listen to this conversation. This uh, woke mind virus, how did it start? Was it bats? Was it a, a <laughs> yeah. escape from a lab? I mean, wh what is your assessment of what? Because it's fairly recent. <laughs> why did, why, how did it start and why? I was, so I was trying to figure out where, where it's coming from. I think it's actually been a long time brewing um, in that it's, uh, I think it's been going on for a while. Um, it, 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 and, um, the, the amount of indoctrination that, that's happening in schools and, and universities is, I think, far beyond what parents realize. Um, and I, I only I sort of came to realize this somewhat, somewhat late. Um, the, the, the experience that we had uh, in, in high school and college is not the experience that, that kids today are having um, and, and hasn't been for 
I don't know, 10, ten years, maybe 20 years. So, uh, Aren't parents themselves also a big part of the problem? They, well, I, I suppose in some cases that parents, but, but I think like the parents are just generally not aware of what their, their kids are being taught uh, or, or what they're not being taught. But they're, they're letting the kids... Okay, we can still, all right, so I agree with much of what Bill Maher says about the woke stuff and what Elon Musk says about it. And uh, I'm glad that Bill Maher is saying this stuff. I do think he's in a position to reach some people who I can't really reach. And if you're, uh, you know, if you're a full-on right-wing crazy, as we would be seen, uh, there, there are certain people that just, no matter what we say, they're not going to listen to us. So there's a so Bill Maher is useful on some of these issues for that reason, but the applause that he gets on the right, you know, the adoring applause that he gets, is a little bit overdone, and it's overdone because um, nobody is ever stopping to point out the obvious here. Okay, there's an answer to the question that Bill Maher asks: Where did the woke mind virus come from? And no, it didn't come from bats, and it wasn't grown in a lab. Um, and it didn't. It didn't fall out of the. It didn't fall out of the sky, right? Like it didn't. It, it didn't. It didn't. Uh, it didn't climb out of the ground or something like some sort of. It, it didn't come out of the ocean like Godzilla. No, you know the uh, Bill. You know. You know what's the origin of the woke mind virus? You, you're the origin. Not just you, but liberalism, the left. Okay, the ideology you espouse. That's where it comes from. It didn't come out of nowhere. Okay, it's, you're correct in thinking that it, well, it could have just come out of nowhere. It was born from the liberalism that you still ascribe to. It is a logical extension of that. Okay, and this is a point that needs to be made and that conservatives need to make rather than simply applauding and say, oh, it's so good that someone, this is one of the good leftists. I'm not saying that if somebody changes their mind on something that we should not allow them to or that we should spend all our time saying, I told you so. We don't want to do that. But this is an important, we, we need to make this point. And the more that people like Bill Maher can pretend that wokeness is completely divorced from the leftism that he belong, ascribes to and, and, and promotes, the more that he's able to pretend that, the, the, the worse it is. Because we're never actually going to defeat the quote-unquote woke mind virus, if we don't come to understand where it comes from and why it comes in the first place. Um, and that's the really valuable conversation. The really valuable conversation that we could be having and that he should be having is, what is it about liberalism that gives rise to this? All this stuff is coming from the left, okay? All the things that he doesn't like, and he has a problem with, and rightly so, the gender stuff and the, uh, the, the shutting down debate and conversation on college campuses. and It's like all of that is coming from the left. And there's a reason for that. Um, and we could talk about that answer. The answer will have a lot to do with the fact that liberalism is fundamentally egocentric. It's fundamentally self-centered with its intense focus on the self and, and satisfying the desires of the self. This, this is liberalism. It's rejection of objective moral truth and of truth in general. You know, the whole idea of, uh, of uh, it's, truth is subjective and we all have our own truth, that again, all comes from the left. Many of their positions on many of these issues are rooted in that, in that assumption, that there is no real truth and there certainly is no objective moral truth. That's where it comes from. Um, but especially, as I said, especially it originates in the intense, really single-minded focus on the self and on satisfying the desires and wants and perceived needs of the self. That's, you start there and you get to everything we're experiencing right now. All right. CNN has this report. Measures that would have severely restricted abortion failed on Thursday in Nebraska and South Carolina, which both have Republican-controlled legislatures, a reflection of the growing unease among Republicans over the political popularity of strict bans. 
In Nebraska, a heartbeat act, which would have banned uh, most abortions after six weeks, except in cases of rape or incest, or to preserve the life of the mother once a fetal heartbeat was detected, stalled in the legislature. A vote to overcome a filibuster of the bill failed by a vote of 32 to 15, with two senators abstaining, including Republican State Senator Merv Reap, uh, leaving the measure one vote shy of the two-thirds majority, majority needed for full consideration. I believe that in both states, um, these um, pro-life bills failed by, by one bill, uh, one vote, rather, I, I believe. Certainly, at least in uh, Nebraska, that was the case. Um, the Nebraska governor said she was profoundly disappointed in the vote, called for the bill to be reconsidered. Uh, but after the news came down that the bill had failed, here are the Democrats in the state legislature in Nebraska reacting to the news. Yay, we get to kill babies. Well, think of all the babies we can kill, they're saying to themselves. That's what they're cheering. So many babies we can kill, we can kill them all. Kill those babies, they say. Tears of happiness. Overcome with joy. Mo move to tears. Tears of happiness at the thought of murdering your own offspring. All of those women. Can you put that up again? Not the video, just the uh, just so we can see, just so we can see these people. Exactly what you expect them to look like. All these women, some of them, some of them are probably mothers, God forbid. Um, some of them are probably mothers, mothers of living and dead children, children that they've killed, but then probably they've some living. But they, and, but this is what, you know, for most women, at least for, uh, for good women anyway, um, they're, they're moved to tears by the, their love of their children. And uh, in fact, my, my wife, just this morning, she was sitting there holding, uh, our, our twins, the babies. And she was like the tears in her eyes, just looking at the babies and smiling, you know, um, which is a beautiful thing to see is that that's the, uh, the love, the overwhelming over, you know, overflowing love of a mother for her children. And you, you can contrast that with this. So the contrast the tears of a, of a mother who is crying over how much she loves her children and contrast it with the tears of these hideous monstrosities, these disgusting goblins who are crying because they'll have the opportunity to kill more of their own children. It really is repulsive. Now, here's the thing. What I'm saying right now, if you are pro-abortion, you're, you're likely to find offensive. I don't care if you find it offensive or not, but you should consider the fact that, you know, if the pro-abortion arguments are correct, if those arguments are right, which they aren't at all, not by a long shot, but if they were correct, let's just say, let's for the sake of argument, um, the most those arguments could possibly justify, the furthest that you would be able to get is to a point where abortion is begrudgingly accepted as a tragic necessity. And that's if the arguments are correct, which again, they aren't. My point is that even if we accept the pro-abortion arguments, if we accept them all, we say, you're right about all that. That would not get us anywhere close to that. It wouldn't get us anywhere close to the point of popping champagne and celebrating abortion like our team just won the Super Bowl. Because even on the, uh, the pro-abortion worldview, what is the baby? What is the, the, ba the baby in the womb? The baby is a fetus, they say. Well, that doesn't mean a fetus just is, is Latin for offspring. It doesn't, it's a distinction without a difference. But they say a fetus is, a, is not a person. It's a potential. It's potential for a person. It is a potential person, but not a person. Well, if that's true, then at a minimum, by, by having an abortion, you are destroying potential life, which is still at least very sad. It's a sad thing. It's a somber. It should be sad and somber. By your own logic, it should still be sad and somber. Destroying potential life. I've, I've used the uh, I've used the analogy before. It's not a perfect analogy, I realize, but it illustrates some of the point that I'm trying to make, which is that, you know, um, if you had a fifty million dollar lottery ticket, and someone were and you hadn't cashed the ticket yet, so that you know it's a ticket. It's not. It is not. The ticket itself is not $50 million, right? 
it's it's it is potential. You may have to go cash it. You have to go and, and submit it and, and right. And if somebody were to take that fifty million dollar fifty million dollar winning lottery ticket and burn it, destroy it. Um, yeah, they haven't technically destroyed fifty million dollars. Like they haven't actually taken a whole bag of money and lit that on fire. But and they haven't gone into a vault somewhere and and stolen fifty million dollars worth of coins. But they've they've destroyed something that was just about to be converted to become fifty million dollars. So that would still be a, 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 a great tragedy in your life. It would still be a, a horrible thing. And you would react to it, even though there is a little bit of a distinction between it's a lottery ticket, not actually the actual money. You would react to it, not as though you just lost a little receipt paper, but as though you just lost $50 million. So the distinction would be so fine and so, um, you know, uh, uh, really it would be, it would be Irrelevant. It would be an essentially irrelevant distinction for you in that moment. And that's what, on the pro-abortion people's own logic, that's what abortion is. And they're celebrating. So how do you get to the celebration? The arguments don't take you there. Uh, What takes you there is just religious fervor. This is pure satanic child sacrifice. It is religious fervor for abortion. That's what takes you the rest of the way. Not the arguments. All right. Another thing to mention, an important one. The Daily Mail has this report. Their man's best friend, and according to research, our trusted sleeping partner too. Two-thirds of pet owners now share a bed with their cat or dog, a new poll suggests. The survey of 2,000 people by sleep brand Silent Night also discovered that nearly one-third do so every single night. But should we really be letting uh, dogs share our beds? While exposure to mites from pets can strengthen the immune system, experts say the habit can run the risk of serious infection. Sharing your bed with your dog increases the chance of them transferring microbes that sit on a dog's skin, possibly via licking, feces, or from their fur. Such bugs can cause conditions including mange or even Lyme disease. You can get mange. Okay, you could become a mangy beast just like your dog. Professor Alejandra Parati, a mite expert at the School of Biological Sciences, says... If a dog owner is uh, immunocompromised or has a weak immune system, even temporarily, then they should not share their bed with a dog. Yeah, if you're immunocompromised, you shouldn't share your bed with a dog. Also, if you have any dignity at all as a human being, you shouldn't share your bed with a dog. In summary, it goes on with all the different disgusting uh, diseases that you can get. Uh, But but the summary is don't sleep with a dog in your bed, you savages. What are you? Are you a barn animal? You're laying in bed with a flea-covered beast right next to you? You might as well sleep on a bed of hay on, in the dirt, okay? You might as well do that. Go, go get some, some goats and pigs and just sleep in their pen with them. Their pen, rather. If you don't want to behave like a human being, you might as well cut to the chase. And act like an I'm telling you, this is our real problem as a society. It's maybe not the only problem, but it is a real problem they say that, they said in the article, dogs are a man's best friend. Okay. Like, I don't, they're not my best friend. Okay, I think your friends should be humans, but, but fine. Well, guess what? Friends need boundaries. The dog is your friend. Fine. Do you, do you sleep in bed with your friends, especially if you're a man? Do you, do you let your friends lick your face? If you saw your friend licking his own butt, would you then let him lick? Would you be his friend anymore in the first place? Let's be serious, okay? Don't let the dog. If you want to have a dog and a, a pet, whatever, fine. But let and then you smell. You smell like a dog, and no one tells you. You're sleeping in dog-scented sheets and blankets, and you're and you're walking out of the house smelling like a dog, but nobody will tell you that you smell that way. And part of the reason is that 60% of the rest of the, of the country also smells like dogs. And then the rest of us, we're walking around and while we're smelling as dog everywhere. Dog and, and the scent of dogs and weed. That is like America, right? That's this, that is what America smells like. You get, you, if you come here from another country, you land, you get off the plane, it's immediately what you smell. Because that's just everywhere. Anyway, let's get to the uh, comment section.
So we're going to do the comment section a little bit differently now because the show is not, uh, the full show is not on YouTube. So I'm going to try to, we still have the clips on YouTube, but I, I was pulling from there. But I'm going to try to pull from Twitter because we do post the full show on Twitter. And so we'll uh, pull some comments from there. This one is uh, not even, it's not actually a comment under the show, but I just wanted to, I wanted to put this up on the screen. This is from the account Mup Walsh. And uh, springtime is here. There's nothing better than bourbon in the sun. So someone made a puppet of me and, uh, you know, it even has the tattoo and all of that. And I have to say, aside from the fact, the only thing they got wrong is that uh, I don't, I never drink my whiskey on rocks. I don't know why people do that, but uh, whiskey is always neat. Other than that, it really looks a lot like me and um, stunningly accurate portrayal. And I'm not sure what it says about me that I can be so accurately rendered by a puppet. I showed this to my wife and she said, that looks exactly like you. And I said, okay, like, calm down a little bit. So you're saying, I, it's, it's, not exactly, right? I mean, I'm not like a, literally a Muppet-looking person, but apparently I am because you can hardly tell the difference. It's like, this, is like the before, this is like the Ryan Webb before and after. You can't even tell. Um, so that's good stuff. All right. At Dave Blend says, thank God you homeschool your kids, or at least your wife does. Do you even see them? You're so busy railing about other people's kids. How would you find the time? Also, at least one of your kids is definitely gay. Sorry. Well, it's true, Dave. I, I see my kids less often than my wife sees them. And that's because uh, I have a job. I have something called a job. That might be a foreign concept to you, I realize. But uh, I have a job. I earn money. I support my family. I bring it home for my family. And my wife does uh, most of the homeschooling because she's at home with the kids. And that's generally how we, are we divide things. And it's worked out pretty well so far. Six kids and counting. We're doing well. As to your last statement, you know, my, my oldest kids are, and I know that um, I know that you groomer freaks on the left. This is something you really enjoy doing. And I get comments like this all the time about my own kids. But, you know, my oldest kids are nine years old. So do you often sit around fantasizing about the sexual orientations of elementary school children? You pervert. How much time in your day do you dedicate to that? Anyway, thanks for your comment. Uh, at J.K. Linders says, I've never seen you complain about child beauty pageants. That is way more grooming than anything happening in schools. You know, I have to say, on the left, you guys have a lot of really dumb straw men arguments that you use, but this is the dumbest. And it's another very common one. I see it all the time. Um, and I realize it's, it's quite a statement to say that this is the dumbest straw man used by the left, but it, it's in the running. I don't know. Maybe I was not going to say the dumbest, but it's like top five. So, um, you support drag shows for children and drag shows starring children, but you can't even begin to defend that practice. So instead you start babbling about child beauty pageants, except that nobody is defending child beauty pageants. Who was who defending that? Can you find me like the article that some conservative has written or done something on a talk show or a pundit or like who, who conservative commentator got up and made a stirring defense of child beauty pageants? Who's defending that? Nobody is. I haven't heard a single conservative advocate. You know, we need we need more child beauty pageants. Haven't heard haven't heard that anywhere because it's not happening. The reason it doesn't come up. The reason we don't talk about child beauty pageants and we don't spend a lot of time, you know, um, uh, discussing the problems with them is precisely because nobody is defending them. Nobody is claiming that it would be genocidal to shut down a child beauty pageant. Nobody is saying that it's essential to their lifestyle that child beauty pageants exist. Nobody is saying that they have the constitutional right to put their little girl in a child beauty pageant. When child beauty pageants are shut down, and many of them have been, thank God, there's, there's no marches in the street of people claiming that their, their lives are in jeopardy now because there's no child beauty pageant. That's not happening. There's no one trying to promote or normalize this stuff. There was that show, was that show on TLC like 15 years ago, a reality show about child beauty pageants, but it was canceled largely because everyone finds it creepy and weird. And even when it was on the air, I never watched it, but uh, presumably... It existed mainly, knowing TLC, it existed mainly to gawk at, you know, sort of gawk at the, the freakazoid parents who get their kids involved in this stuff. But what about child drag shows? Well, in that case, there's an entire ideological movement seeking to promote and normalize it and celebrate it. 
And though you are opposed to child beauty pageants, you love the child drag shows. So the inconsistency and hypocrisy is entirely on your end. How about this? You want to ban child child, uh, beauty pageants? Fine. Let's ban them. Absolutely. Sounds great to me. Okay? You can't put your nine-year-old girl in in a beauty pageant. We're not doing that. Fine. Ban them. Ban them all. Ban them everywhere. Great. Let's do that. Okay, now that we are, we've agreed on that, what about the child drag shows? Oh, there, 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 you're perfectly fine with it. So you think that it's wrong to dress little girls up and parade them around on stage. You're right about that. Yeah, you think that it's fine to dress little boys up like girls and parade them around on stage. So your only problem with a child beauty pageant is that, it's, is that they're girls. You take that exact same thing, exact same outfits and everything, and, and put it on a boy? And, and you have tears welling up in your eyes. You're so, you're so excited about it. And, but, but it's even worse because the, the child drag shows, like they're happening at bars and people are throwing money at the children. Something that never happens, as far as I know, at a child beauty pageant. As far as I know, they were doing child beauty pageants at, at, at gay bars with people handing out money. So child beauty pageants are bad and creepy. Child drag shows are 10 times worse. It takes all the bad things about the child beauty pageants and and makes them all worse by a factor of like 10. And yet you defend and celebrate the worst thing. Um, And uh, at Accretionist says, yes, Respecting LGBT people is difficult for you, and asking for that respect is brainwashing. We understand witless sadism, Matt. Well, I'm sure you do. As far as brainwashing, what I'm objecting to is, you know, providing pornographic books to children in school and talking to seven-year-olds about their sexuality and gender identity. Um, That's the brainwashing that I'm very much objecting to. You are saying that doing all of those things is apparently necessary for respecting LGBT people. So when I say don't put the porn in the schools, don't don't talk to six-year-olds about their uh, sexuality, I say that, and then you say, well, you don't respect LGBT people. So you are setting that as a standard for respect. You're saying that in order to respect LGBT people, we have to allow this sexualizing of children. That's what you're saying. And if those two things do go hand in hand, as you claim, then I guess I don't respect LGBT people. If you are correct that the only way to respect LGBT people is to openly sexualize kids, then then I guess I don't respect them if that's what respect means. Right? Is, I mean, is is so really this is up to you to decide. Is it possible to respect LGBT people as human beings without sexualizing kids? You say that it's not possible, and if that's true, well, it's an easy choice for me to make. I guess I'm not respecting them. Because it's much more important to defend children, but I but I do really wonder why do those two things go hand in hand? Like why, according to you, why is that such an, an integral part of LGBT culture, quote unquote, as you seem to think it is? Finally, uh, at TL Smith nineteen sixty three says churches are right wing brainwashing factories. Okay, maybe using Twitter for the segment of the show was actually a mistake. Uh, it's a very different. It's a very different tone. Um, or maybe it's a great idea. I don't know. It's like one or the other. So it's either a disaster or it's the best idea I've had on the show in a long time. I want to talk to you about something uh, I don't usually talk about, except when I'm reading this copy. Hair. Not mine. My hair is handsome and brilliant because I use Jeremy's razor, shampoo, and conditioner. I'm talking about your hair. Because if you're not also using Jeremy's restorative tea tree and argon oil blend to wash your mane while you're doing it wrong, you are asking to be canceled. Jeremy's Razors is a more than a razor company. It's a men's grooming brand that doesn't hate men. Their shampoo and conditioner, along with their exfoliating charcoal body wash, are all made from high-quality natural ingredients right here in the USA. They're sulfate-free, and even though uh, I still don't know what a paraben is, they're free of those two. At a certain point, I guess I'll look that up. But most important of all, Jeremy's Razor's hair and body bundles are woke-free. So stop giving your money to woke companies who hate you. Head over to jeremysrazors.com and check out their shampoo, conditioner, and body wash bundles today. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. I was uh, sitting on the couch yesterday morning, and like most Sunday mornings, I was reading some books to my three-year-old daughter. And we enjoy, um, 
many different books. We enjoy reading Dr. Seuss. Uh, if you give a mouse a cookie, all the classics. But one of our favorite book series is Frog and Toad. Each book in the series, if you're not familiar, tells of the exploits of two characters, a frog and a toad named Frog and Toad, amphibious friends who uh, get into all sorts of adventures, such as flying kites and building snowmen and riding bicycles. I've been a Frog and Toad fan going back 30 years to my own early childhood. In fact, Frog and Toad provided me with my very first public speaking opportunity. Uh, In second grade, the teacher selected me to uh, read one of the Frog and Toad books in, in its entirety aloud to the class. And uh, it was a great honor because usually, you know, you read like a page or something, but I got to read the whole book. Pretty big deal. And I captivated and thrilled my audience by not only reading the story flawlessly, but even using different voices for Frog and Toad. It was a bold, creative decision, and it paid off wonderfully. Anyway, as I was reading one of the books to my uh, daughter yesterday, um, the thought occurred to me that maybe there's a Frog and Toad TV show that we can watch. I'd never thought to look for one before, but it seemed like the kind of thing that might have aired on PBS back in like 1993. Though you would think that I I would have heard of it back then if it had existed as a frog and toad diehard as I was back then. So after we finished the book, I I looked it up to see if there was a show. And as it happens, great coincidence, there is a frog and toad series which just debuted last week on Apple TV. And I uh, I was excited about the news. But then the cynical part of my brain took over. If this, was, if this was a PBS show from 1993, well, there'd be nothing to worry about. These days, though, we know that no kid's show is safe, even one as innocent and charming as Frog and Toad. So I realized that I need to do a little bit more research to make sure that nothing has been done to wokeify the stories. But then uh, as I started to do that, I, I, I thought to myself, come on, you know, what are you worried about? What are they going to do to Frog and Toad? <laughs> what, are they going to turn them into gay lovers or something? Let's be serious. Well, it only took about five seconds of Googling to pull up this headline on the Daily Beast. Quote, Frog and Toad are still gay in Apple, Apple's new kids show. Not just gay, you notice, still gay. Because they were gay all along, we're told. Indeed, the subheading tells us that fans cherish the book for being gay. Uh, quote, the creator of Apple TV Plus's new Frog and Toad series talks through bringing the children's book characters to life and not being afraid of the queer subtext so many fans cherish. We're then treated to an interview with Rob Hoagie, who's the showrunner for the new Apple TV series, and the man entrusted with the job of bringing the work of the late children's author Arnold Lobel to life. Reading from the article, it says, quote, The new series follows the titular pals going through the, uh, the events of those classic short stories. Cranky Toad refuses to get out of bed in the morning, but an energetic frog bothers him until he rouses. A wistful toad yearns to receive a letter in his mailbox, so Frog writes him one, but reveals what the letter says before it can arrive at Toad's stoop. Little tales of small gestures guide children and older folks through the commitment of friendship. Just because Frog and Toad are very different creatures doesn't mean they'll never see eye to eye. Well, it all sounds innocent and fun so far, right? How could it not be? These are very simple stories geared towards very young children. But then we get to this part. Quote, Hoagie found it important to consider the queer subtext of the Frog and Toad books. A significant number of his cast and crew identify as LGBTQ+, Hoagie says, and he aspired, quote, to make sure that everyone felt that they were being heard and their contribution, their Frog and Toad, lived on in whatever shape that was. You can't deny it, Hoagie says. It's part of the books. It's part of the legacy. Though Frog and Toad are simply called friends in the series and in the books, Arnold Lobel came out to his family as gay in 1974 after the books had been published. In a 2016 interview with The New Yorker, Adrian Lobel called the books the beginning of him coming out. Over the years, Frog and Toad have become gay icons. There are shirts that that read, Frog and Toad are gay. Even when the series was announced, Them wrote an article headlined, Everyone's favorite queer couple, Frog and Toad, are coming to TV. Quote, what we wanted to do here is create a faithful adaptation of the books, Hoagie says, For people, a lot of readers of a certain age, Frog and Toad as characters seen through a queer lens is hugely important to them. We can't deny anyone that meaning to them as far as these characters go. If that's how you see the characters in the book, it's fair to say that you will have the opportunity to see a similar viewpoint in the show as well. Okay, so a few things here. First of all, the conservatives, the right, uh, we're always accused of turning everything into a culture war. But as usual, that accusation is nothing but projection from the left. 
And in fact, that's what's going to happen. That's what's going to happen in reaction to this very segment that you're currently listening to. Okay. Uh, Media Matters is going to take it and they're going to say, Matt Walsh goes on unhinged rant about frog and toad. Acting like we're the ones who have made it ideological and political. We're the ones who have found some sort of messaging in it. When in fact, it's they're telling us that they put the messaging in the show. They are the ones who won't allow anything at all to remain outside of the culture war. Look, nobody is arguing that Frog and Toad was originally conservative or right-wing or that it was anti-gay or that it promoted biblical marriage. We aren't asking that Frog and Toad be restored to its original purpose of promoting the conservative position on culture war issues. No, we're not saying that. It was just a story about a frog and a toad who were friends and went on adventures. It was utterly neutral on the question of homosexuality. It didn't render a verdict. It was not concerned with the issue. And that was okay. More than okay. It's what we should be able to expect of children's entertainment. Okay, the author of the book came out as gay. So what? What, are you saying that gay people are incapable of, of, of creating something that has nothing to do with being gay? So he might have been gay, but the, the story that he wrote down and illustrated was just about a frog and a toad who were friends. That's what it was. LGBT activists cannot allow anything to be neutral. Everybody and everything and every show and every book and every story must take a position on the LGBT issue, the only issue they care about. And of course, that position must be one of full acceptance of whatever LGBT activists believe in whatever they want to do. We should understand that according to the left, you know, we are all sexual beings and only sexual beings. There's nothing else about us that matters. We are walking, talking sets of genitals wandering around and looking for other sets to bump into, according to them. They look out at the world through this, this lens of compulsive sexual preoccupation. They cannot conceive of anything as existing apart from that. Even a children's book about a frog and a toad gets sucked into this sex-obsessive whirlwind. Everything does. Nothing escapes. Stories of male friendship especially do not escape. You know, it's naturally hard enough for boys to form deep and meaningful friendships with each other. It's even harder as they grow older and become men. Because as guys, you know, we don't, we don't typically like to do things like talk and share our feelings. And we can more easily become totally absorbed in our work and our responsibilities and our hobbies, you know, the things that we do. And we can become completely invested in that and leaving no time for friendships. And, and sometimes, oftentimes, no desire for them, which isn't actually healthy. It's not a good thing. And that's why it's important to emphasize the value of friendship, especially to boys, and to provide examples of it. Even, even you know, these, these innocent, childish kind of examples in children's books. But those examples are being systematically taken away as the left insists that every male friendship has a homoerotic subtext. This has the effect of making male friendships seem even less desirable to the males themselves. Like, I can't think of a, of a better way to make sure that boys don't become friends with each other than by having the left sitting there and pointing to every example of, of male friendship in pop culture and saying, oh, they must be gay. Why else would they be hanging out so much? It's like you're intentionally trying to dissuade boys from becoming friends with each other. It's almost as if you're, you're intentionally trying to create more isolation, more loneliness, less companionship, which of course is exactly what they're doing. Second, perhaps the most telling line from the showrunner Hoagie is this. He says, uh, remember, for readers of a certain age, Frog and Toad is characters seen through a queer lens is hugely important to them. For readers of a certain age. In other words, for grown gay adults who have baptized these fictional characters as queer icons, it is very important that the imagined gay subtext remain in place. But these are not stories for adults. At least they aren't supposed to be. You know, it would be very strange for an adult to sit in the living room by himself and watch Frog and Toad. Just as it'd be very strange for him to sit there by himself and read a stack of Frog and Toad books. These are meant for children. We are meant to introduce our children to these stories and experience the stories with them. But children are, are, are supposed to be the focus, not adults. And yet, even putting the gay stuff aside, we see again how a generation of overgrown adolescent 30-somethings suffocating in their nostalgia for the past 
continually insist that the characters and stories of their childhood remain in their possession, that these things continue to cater to them instead of passing those things on to the next generation of children, which is how this is supposed to work. No, instead, everything is made gay. Alex Jones was right once again. They really are turning the frickin' frogs gay. And the frickin' toads too. And that is why my old friends, Frog and Toad, most certainly are not canceled. But the people responsible for this gayified adaptation are today and forever, and with great prejudice, canceled. That'll do it for this portion of the show. As we move over to the members block, hope to see you there. If not, talk to you tomorrow. Godspeed.